Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grill Nation show. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for joining us today. As always, if you're listening to us on the podcast, uh, we're on Apple, Stitcher. You can also watch us uh, on YouTube, which we're going to be on here later today at Grill Nation show with Jason Grill. Uh, as always, uh, connect with me on Twitter at Jason Grill at Grill Nation show. Also on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn at Jason Grill. Uh, I want to thank all of those who have uh, emailed or joined us or comment on the shows. You can email me at grillnationshow at gmail.com if you have any thoughts about our guests or want to partner with the show. Very excited to welcome back on today's show a, uh, a, great, uh, a great organization, a great partner of the Grill Nation show, Landmark National Bank, and Jason Carter-Solomon, who's a senior uh, vice president at Landmark National Bank. Their website is banklandmark.com. Jason, how are you today, my friend? Very good, sir. Uh, how are you? I'm doing fine, man. Um, just hanging in there. I can't believe we would. We're in mid-July, late July now. So, um, you know, summer's just, cooking for sure. You always, whenever you come on the show, you know, whenever we get you, we're excited. One, because you always have great news to share and updates. But two, you always bring on great guests. Uh, and today we're going to have a fascinating guest on the show. Who we're going to talk a lot of a lot about his background, but also talk about some uh, really exciting projects that he's worked on as well as kind of what, what he sees on the pike as far as some different areas in Kansas City and development. But I want to start with you first. Um, what is going on at Landmark National Bank? And uh, I know you all had some uh, kind of exciting news to report here recently. Yeah, for those that uh, I'm sure are enticed by the banking landscape in our city and uh, as titillating as uh, the banking landscape and news around that is, uh, some may or may not know, we recently acquired Freedom Bank. Uh, we haven't closed on that transaction yet, but we will so do so, I believe, at the beginning of the year. And I'll leave the uh, more detailed talking points to the upper brass, but suffice to say, it's a, a great uh, partnership with a like-minded organization that's uh, both consumer and commercially oriented here in Kansas City. And it gives us another uh, quiver in our, um, in our toolbox here to take care of entrepreneurs and business owners in Kansas City. So it'll be a, a good fit. We're looking forward to it. That's exciting, man. Congratulations. And then also I would announce uh, that we um, have a event that we're co-sponsoring with MetroWire here this week, actually Thursday, I believe at four o'clock um, at um, uh, area in Overland Park, the uh, mixed use panel that MetroWire is putting on. And I'll be discussing uh, mixed use uh, real estate and approaches to uh, development. And uh, that'll be a, a great panel with uh, folks like Chad Stafford and uh, some other folks uh, that are really uh, talented here in Kansas City with regards. You will be on the panel or you'll be moderating the panel? I will be on the panel. Oh, wow. And that's at what time again? It's at four o'clock. On Thursday. Okay. Yeah, at the Asperia campus. Mixed use projects. Kind yeah. of. That would be interesting. Which is very pertinent to today's guests, actually. Yes, so. it is. Give us just a couple quick, uh, as you said, titillating uh, things about we could talk about. Or you, you're going to you know, preview maybe some of the things you're excited about with that, with mixed use. You know, I think mixed use is one of these things that's been in the lexicon for, you know, probably 30 years or so. Um, 
It's interesting. There are various, uh, I think, markets where it's more successful than others. And I think Kansas City has adapted. I think Kansas City is probably an originator of it. If you look at uh, the, 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 the famous and world famous uh, Country Club Plaza, um, mixing retail and office uses to a great degree of success uh, historically and currently. And I think it is a it's an attempt to recreate, I think, communities, uh, mixed uses, mixed use developments. It's, it's to bring uh, complementary uses together in order to recreate communities. You've seen um, other submarkets in our area kind of take advantage of that approach, like uh, Lenexa City Center, uh, Zona Rosa. Uh, and, you know, there are different ways of going about it, mixing uh, residential with retail, residential with office. I've seen... Uh, office and resident or retail put together. So it's just talking about how to, from the banker's landscape is how we underwrite those deals and how we uh, view the capital stack and how we can help as lenders and as consultative partners help construct the, capital, the, the proper capital structure to ensure uh, mixed use development is successful. It's going to be awesome, man. That's very cool. I, I'm excited to talk to our guests today. Let's preview our show. We're going to bring on here Butch Rigby. Um, tell us about Butch and how you know Butch before we bring him on. So, you know, in, in our business, um, you don't often get to work with your heroes. And I've told Butch this, <laughs> but Butch is one of my uh, my heroes. And I've, I'm, I'm lucky to consider him actually a, a good friend uh, over the years we've known each other. We came to know each other several years ago when I was actually graduating from grad school and uh had some thoughts about the uh, Brookside neighborhood and some of the commercial uh, developments in that uh, 63rd Street corridor and saw an opportunity uh, while examining it both for my master's thesis and also uh, working as a commercial real estate appraiser at the time. And so mm -hmm. realizing that there were probably some undervalued assets and land in that corridor and given uh, the historic strength that that neighborhood has from a rooftop perspective, really thought highly of some things that were that could happen and had some ideas myself and then heard he was working on some things. And uh, I just wanted to pick his brain and I'd heard about him before, hadn't met him. And we just got together and shared a mutual love of old buildings and uh, neighborhoods and placemaking and how to approach the built environment in very similar manners. And so we've become, um, uh, well, we've done business together over the our number of years. We've known each other and I consider Butch a friend and a, and a mentor to some degree and uh, excited to hear his take on some of the new things he's working on as well as some of the old. That's awesome. Uh, very excited. Let's bring him on now. Um, give me a second here. Bring on Butch Rigby. How you doing, Butch? Good. Good morning. How are you? Good. Good. Well, it's great to have you on the show. And obviously, a lot of things that we're going to talk about with you today uh, for those who don't know you, give us a little bit about your background. I know it's uh, you're you're very entrepreneurial and you've done many things in your career, but boil it down to kind of the key the key highlights, and then we'll get into kind of some of the things you're working on today. Well, you know, my background is uh, I've always done what I love to do, and I'm lucky in that way. Um, you know, I uh, started Screenland Theaters a number of years ago um, when I. Um, Got out of college, I decided to go to law school so I could go to Hollywood and be a movie producer. And I ended up going to Hollywood and working on movie crews because a buddy of mine told me I'd be looking over old real estate contracts from the studios if I announced myself as a lawyer. 
And so I ended up working on movie crews, grip, uh, stunt crew assistant, uh, bit actor, anything I could do to be on or around uh, a movie and a movie experience. And I did that for a couple of years, but I certainly understood that I was more interested uh, in Kansas City and looking at film and looking at real estate during college to pay for school. I roofed houses, I painted houses, I did things like that to pay my way through school. And every time I had an experience uh, working on a building, uh, I found that, uh, you know, I could not only work on them, but I could own them. As, as long as your first building cost $8,000 and you rehabbed it yourself. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but yeah, so we, we both kind of, uh, you know, I went to law school like you did and obviously have my license in both states, but have chosen other paths. And I think that's, that's interesting to note that you did that. Um, and you know, a lot of people always ask me, you know, should I go to law school? Should I not? And I always say, it's good to go to law school. However, you know, just because you go to law school, you don't have to be a, you know, a trial lawyer, right? You can, oh, absolutely. You can do all kinds of different things. And I think more people have kind of more people are okay with that now, I feel like, than they used to be. Well, you know, Tony LaRusso, the longtime baseball manager, is a lawyer. I mean, really? you know, getting a law degree uh, is just part of an education. And as we all learned, uh, college and higher education, um, you're not there to learn things. You're, to le you're, you're there to learn how to think or learn how to process. And so my law degree has been, um, it was helpful. It was helpful even in Hollywood working on movie crews. I mean, it was... You know, uh, and and my experience going through college and working my way through school has uh, led me to a life of uh, self-employment and entrepreneurial uh, activity. And uh, it's not for everybody, uh, but it worked out for me. And you know, you too. And of course, Jason, I've known your father before you. And uh, you know, uh, he's one of the old-fashioned lawyers. He certainly is. He's still he was, working all the time and. Uh gets there on Sunday mornings early and yes. does a lot of pro bono stuff. I don't know if he's the best businessman, but he's a good lawyer, you know, oh, he's a great, <laughs> he's a great businessman. He's a great person. So, uh, and I yeah. can say that sincerely. Yeah. So Butch, um, uh, let's talk about property. So you, uh, you know, you, you talked about being, you know, starting a company or being an entrepreneur. What, what, uh, what was the first property you bought in Kansas city? The very first property I bought was an old burned up fourplex up in Excelsior Springs. It was actually an old house that had been converted many years before and there was a fire. Woman walks into the little real estate office. Uh, my mother had a little one horse real estate office up in Liberty. And in the summer I was, uh, in addition to painting and roofing, I would try to sell some houses. I got my broker license when I was 18. And then I was going to list this property and you know, I, I wanted to buy it. And of course, my mother said, hey, you've got to list it. You've got to give the whole market an opportunity to buy it. And the seller said, uh, if this kid wants to buy it, I want to sell it. And I want to sell it now. <laughs> and um, so I bought it. And I went up to Excelsior. And I, I literally gutted the, the burned up kitchen that had burned. And I redid the whole thing all summer long. And I rented it. And, you know, it wasn't the most profitable building you're ever going to own. But it really was... Uh, boot camp for real estate. I mean, I had to deal with 
everything you can imagine, including a jealous guy throwing a refrigerator out the second floor window because he thought some some guy on the first floor bought it for his girlfriend on the second floor when indeed I bought the refrigerator. <laughs> so, you know. How old uh, were you at this point, Butch? You're doing. I was, uh, I was 20 years old. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I think I turned 21 when I was rehabbing it. Oh my gosh! So after all that stuff happened, you still wanted to start a business and, and do real estate, huh? Well, you know, it, it it it. By the time I realized how much of a pain it was, I was fully vested. During that <laughs> next summer, um, you know, my college roommate and I, who were painting and roofing together found out we could buy small houses for $1,500 and $3,500 and, you know, bought them at tax sales and over, you know, kind of in midtown Kansas city. And, you know, we did that for quite a while. And, you know, what I, what I ended up doing was I did that long enough to get out to Hollywood. I practiced just a little bit of law for a couple of years, made enough money. Then I literally went out to Hollywood and I slept on a couch and I worked movie crews for, a year and a half, two years, and had a great time. And, you know, by the time I got back, I decided, well, I, I like Kansas City. We started the Film Society. We started, thank you, Walt. We just started all the things in the film world uh, that we could. And uh, at the same time, I decided instead of, you know, residential, I could buy an old movie theater headquarters down at 18th and Wyandotte, and it had a little bitty screening room. And so I was able to combine my love of the real estate, the architecture, and the movies all in one building at the old Commonwealth Theaters building at 215 West 18th Street. And uh, really didn't look back, uh, never wanted to do residential again, and eventually sold the six or seven houses I had and uh, started with that first commercial building 28 years ago. Wow, it was that long. So you're talking about the Screenland and the Crossroads kind of area, correct? Um, I even even before Screenland, I this was uh, the Commonwealth Theaters building, and what I ended up doing was renting to eighteen different lawyers to have single offices. So I sort of combined the law, the, the movies, and the real estate all in one. And I don't know if I'm the smartest guy to rent eighteen lawyers, the dumbest guy to rent eighteen lawyers, but we created <laughs> a great little community. And to this day, kind of we're doing the co-working thing before it was a thing. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we did co-working. We provided a secretary up front. We had a law library back when they were on paper. We had a big copy machine and uh, it worked out well. And it was it was a model I still use to this day, interspersed in many of my properties. Uh, what? what? So you said that was about 28 years ago? 1994. I bought my first building down there. OK. Wow. So and I'm trying to remember the crossroads, but you said the crossroads, right? It wasn't really called the crossroads when I was down there. I was attracted to a little small area called Film Row, where all right. the film studios had a distribution point in Kansas City for the Midwest. Warner Brothers, MGM, uh, you know, all of them had a building in this small area around 18th and Wyandotte, all masonry buildings, lots of very flammable film in those days coming through. And they had to have a way to ship and distribute large giant reels of film that would be shown for, uh, you know, in the movie theater. So there had to be a physical way to bring that film in, inspect that film, get that film out. So in addition to 20th Century Fox, Disney, Warner Brothers, MGM, all the studios, AMC theaters and Commonwealth theaters were also based within that two block area. Back then they were Derwood theaters. 
And Commonwealth at one point was the third largest theater chain in America. And it's uh, now been absorbed many times over. It's part of Regal now. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's interesting. So you, so you did that. And then um, when did the, uh, when did the, uh, the Screenland, not the one up North, but the Screenland and the crossroads kind of vicinity area start. That happened around 2001, 2002. Um, the, the theater opened in 2004. I acquired an old ice house, an old freezer facility at 17th and Washington. Mm-hmm. And it was literally full of freezers. And we gutted it and we put windows in it and we renovated it. And it was 55,000 feet. And I've always done my own uh, renovations. And so I ended up with um, you know getting toward the end of the renovation. And I had told my banker at the time, a guy I went to law school with over at Security Bank, Wade Kindiger, hey, wait, I said, now comes to the part, you know, that, that makes the magic about this building. And much like the Commonwealth Theaters building, where I had a small screening room in there, and I used that movie theme for the building, I wanted to build in the garage a single screen movie theater that would bring in films that even the Tivoli and the fine arts were not playing, would bring in very small, obscure films. Um, we, we were the first to do the Oscar-nominated short films. We brought in filmmakers. We've played films that other people wouldn't play. And he understood the vision. He understood that giving your building a personality and, and, and something to drive it, giving it some sizzle, uh, was important. And so we ended up... Um, building the theater inside of the uh, old garage area. It was 150 seats. Um, I I got the name Screenland because I was supposed to buy a building that was the home of the Screenland Cafe um, you know, many years before. And my good friend ended up uh, buying that building. And, you know, we were the two of us were sort of in competition. And I knew he wouldn't really have anything to do with the name Screenland. So I, I talked to the former owners of the cafe and they gave me, gave it their blessing. Well, I ended up trademarking the name. And Screenland the Theater was born in 2004, April 2004. And we opened uh, uh, with a film about a camel called The Big Animal. And, you know, it's um, it still goes today. We were in Crown Center and over in KCK, developing an old historic theater there and eventually in North Kansas City. And um, in North Kansas City, the city wanted a Screenland. And I said, well, Screenland's really a real estate company. <laughs> the movie theaters don't make money on, in and of themselves. And uh, so we made a deal to acquire the building that the Screenland Armor is in. And in uh, exchange for me assuring them I would build a movie theater and operate a movie theater. And now we have four screens and it's pretty self-sustaining. And I have a terrific uh, couple of young guys that have been running it on you know, the movie theater side for about 10 years while I continue the Screenland real estate service company. Interesting. Yeah. I don't think many people would know that unless they're in the real estate world that you, I mean, obviously we're going to get to Brookside and, and your company and, and Screenland real estate services, but you know, I think most people around Kansas city know you kind of for what you did for film and the movie industry here and, and kind of highlighting some of the historic stuff that, you know, most yeah. Kansas have no idea about in our area. Yeah, we were very lucky. We, uh, you know, as I got here and we we uh, opened that first building, we started the Film Society of Greater Kansas City. We started Thank You, Walt Disney. We started Film Fest Kansas City. And, uh, you know, we, we really had an opportunity 
uh, within that community. And I was surrounded by a lot of good people. John Shipp uh, uh, was probably one of the most influential on me. And he and I ended up running Screenland uh, when we were approached to go to the uh, Crown Center. It was the Hall family used to like to go to our theater. And, um, you know, he has always, uh, we ran a theater for Dick Durwood, uh, whose brother, uh, the late Stander would, uh, was really the uh, head of AMC theaters for many years. And Dick and him, on his own right had a marvelous theater chain all across the country. And so he still had a theater in St. Joe's. So we ran it up there. But, uh, you know, I, I, I was very fortunate that I could meld the two things that drove me and gave me passion. Buildings, old buildings and architecture. Well, really three things. Old buildings, architecture, Kansas City, and the movies. And so, you know, some days I'm spending the movie theater hat. Some days I'm spending the real estate hat. And some days it's just that great Kansas City hat. And, uh, <laughs> you know, every day I'm excited to get up and go to work. I, I have to say it's, uh, you know, these days I'm, I'm excited about Kansas City specifically. I'm excited about Truce for sale prospect. I'm excited to start having all of our community involved and in, in ownership. Uh, of our community. Jason, let, let's start there then. Butch Rigby. Um, Butch, I, I didn't really know how to introduce you because, you you know, Brookside East and then you have um, obviously your Screenland Real Estate Services. You you have the movie Screenland. Um, but let's start there then maybe with kind of some of the projects you're excited about. Maybe we should start with Brookside East because that was kind of the one that I kind of, you know, besides the stuff you did with Screenland and the Crossroads and some of the properties you know there, that's that's kind of the area in Kansas City that I think is has has really grown uh, in the in the very recent uh, past. But tell us about that and what we're talking about when we're talking about Brookside East. Yeah, when we're talking about Brookside East, we're generally talking about an area from about 63rd and Oak Street over toward Troost, maybe a little beyond. And I in college, I lived at 6328 McGee, just a block uh, west of there um, in a house with four other guys. And uh, including my roommate, Paul, who I ended up painting and roofing with and who to this day is still the electrician for all our properties. So I was familiar with that. And back in the old days, when I say the old days, I mean the late 70s, the early 80s, you know, they were doctors buildings. They were a lot of doctors from Menorah Medical Center, which happened to be located over by UMKC at the time. Um, there was a Winchell's. There was a Dairy Queen. It was a nondescript, mostly office buildings, mostly medical offices. Um, there was a small little building at 634 63rd that was an A-frame that was a little bank called the University Bank, and they had the, another office in Old Brookside. And I remember in college, I, uh, I knew the son of the president of the bank, and I thought, man, he must be the richest guy I've ever known in my life. <laughs> I had no idea. And, As a banker, uh, I'm telling you that's not true. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'll tell you, now that I own the building, the safe is only about up to my knees, so it can't be that. It could have been that rich, but no, it, 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 was, uh, it was amazing. So, you know, a few years ago, uh, like 2014, a friend of mine named Byron Pendleton approached me, and Byron uh, ran uh, Art Lithograph, and Art Lithograph was next door to my first building, down in the crossroads or before it was a crossroads and Byron had been there even longer and Byron ran these companies and he was basically in charge of renting real estate. And by this, you know, by the mid to late nineties, 
I owned a few buildings around the crossroads and Byron's company would rent them from me. And uh, Byron, I knew, was uh, involved in developing real estate himself in addition to his job running this company. And, um, you know, but he was always the one that would come in and do the build out in our space. And I've worked with him. So about 2014, Byron called me to lunch one day and said, you know, we ought to do a building together, you know? And I thought, yeah, Byron's like me. He's very pragmatic. He's very honest. He likes to work on the real estate hands in. And so I said, yeah, you know, I would consider that. I've never really had partners other than maybe a, you know, a group I developed Westport Junior High with, but on an ongoing basis. And uh, it certainly became a case where one plus one equals three. But Byron, uh, you know, wanted to go look at something in the Northeast that I'd already looked at. And I said, you know, there's a little two building package, uh, an A-frame building and an old kind of a, everybody thinks it's a theater and everybody wants it to be a Screenland theater and it won't work for that. But we should look at it at 624, 634, 63rd. Okay, 63rd and Cherry. We looked at it. We saw the vision. I explained to him that I felt like this area, which was at the time 70% vacant, uh, but this area with the vacant buildings and everything for sale and everything kind of run down seemed to be situated in a vacuum. It had great housing to the south. It had great housing to the north. It had great shops and housing to the uh, west. It had a lot of good things going to the east, but they were still developing, you know. And so I said, I just think that there's a lot of office space here. There's a lot of need for office space. There's a lot of parking. So we looked across the street at the corner of 63rd and Holmes and saw the vacant 633, 63rd. And then we saw the mostly vacant uh, building on stilts, 601 East 63rd, with its tiny little doctor's office windows. And we ended up making simultaneous deals to buy all four buildings on three different transactions within a month of each other. And we felt we could get some good uh, synergy going there and some critical mass. So we we made those deals and, um, you know, we had our, we went to our, one of our bankers and the banker we've been using a lot and his bank became a little bit um, uh, shy about doing that deal. They were worried. Some of my real estate, very, very people I respect very much. Some of my real estate colleagues were like, I don't know, Butch, that, that area, you know, I don't, you might get $12 a foot full service. I go, well, I better do better than that because I'm going to invest a lot of money and I'm going to, you know, we're going to change it. And I kept going forward and we ended up uh, working with the bank that had the note, you know, a bank that had approached me before back then, Missouri Bank, Grant Bircham and Grant um, worked with us. And, um, you know, we we bought those buildings. And then along the way, as we were expanding and adding a second floor to a building and taking new, putting new glass skins on buildings and just renovating them top to bottom, uh, you know, Missouri Bank sold. And I remembered my good friend, Jason Carter-Solomon, and he was with the bank out of St. Louis back then. And yeah. He understood and he came forward and, you know, we worked with Jason and then Jason's bank helped us grow. Uh, we eventually acquired 616 uh, East 63rd. We acquired 425 East 63rd. We acquired 701, 751 East 63rd. We, we, we started building this community. And all along the way, we renovated them ourselves. We modernized them. We brought, you know, we thought that, hey, we'll put glass skins on there and, 
and you know people can you know the people can see out their windows and they'll have great views and it'll be nice and and that was all true but what was more amazing was people on the street were engaging with the people in the building they could make eye contact from the sidewalk and it was it was a connection and all of a sudden the street became more active now we we very clearly and very purposefully you know, we go back to that uh, talk about mixed use. Um, I knew that if I'm going to have a lot of people working on 63rd Street, they need to walk out the doors and get coffee. And, you know, I met Robin uh, uh, Krause, who had started the filling station chain, and she started her unbakery uh, on 63rd uh, in the little A-frame. Yeah. Um, coffee and juice and baked goods. Uh, we we met um, uh, different restaurateurs. We had... Uh, Plate Restaurant wanted to be in there, and they had a small location that had burned earlier, and uh, Christian Joseph, and we uh, put them in there, and Charles Diabling, who took his Brookside Poultry, which is now, uh, you know, Brady and Fox Irish food, but we understood, you know, you got to have a reason to come to your building and maybe go downstairs and get lunch or get coffee. Uh, we worked with the neighbors, you know. We were just equally excited to watch other investors come in, and I, you know, I have to say the Stevie family was out front with uh, the, you know, the heirloom bakery and uh, uh, the Sabates family was right out there with the, um, you know, uh, their eye center and the Brookside wines and the uh, flying horse tavern. And then, you know, we had the, the Colonel who took the old blockbuster building and made it vibrant. So definitely a, a team effort. And there are more building owners up and down the street. We probably, at one time had about maybe 75% of the office space there, which was good. It gave us some synergy, but you know, it, it really, uh, you know, it really ended up taking on life of its own. It really ended up living up to everything we thought it could do and more. The most fascinating thing was 70% of our 110 small business tenants are women owned business. Um, it was an opportunity for women, women, have been out there and, and, you know, uh, it was, you know, we kept thinking, Hey, we want to make sure that we are a diverse business community. We want women owned businesses. We want people of color owning their business. We want all these things. And while it took a while to get that blend, we ended up achieving it. We have a great healthy mix of, of all sorts of businesses, business owners, we have uh, Latino, African American, uh, you know, Asian American. We have, we just have a healthy, wonderful mix of young and older people running their businesses there, and uh, I couldn't be happier with the result. And mm -hmm. so, you know, Brookside East has become a little bit of an experiment, but one that you know, one that has worked out well, and I think it's paved the way eastward in our community. Yeah, Jason, you want to talk? Um, you want to talk to Butch then about um, you know segueing there to Truston and what what's going on there? Or do you want to fill in more because it's obvious that having you and having uh, good banking relationships has been huge. Um, Absolutely, I, I, I'm excited to see what else happens in that area uh, as we connect to Truist as someone who lives in Brookside. Um, yeah, I, I will tell you. You know, first of all, you you, you couldn't have been you know, more right on, spot on. A good banking relationship is everything. You know, Byron and I don't take investors. We do it all ourselves. We sign off on all the loans, but you got to have a banker uh, and bankers that believe in you. And, and you know, I, I in addition to Jason, 
Matt Hofer at Great American, Wade Kinniger at Security Bank, uh, you know, uh, uh, Morgan Schulte at First National Bank. I mean, there are some. Which has a little more risk tolerance than me, Jason. And I and I have a little bit as an entrepreneur, but man, I'll tell you yeah. what. Yeah, my. Hearing all these stories and all these buildings and all these bank loans, you know, it's amazing yeah. what he's willing to do and what he's done. You got to sign your name on the line if you believe in it. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I mean, in many yeah. ways, Jason and all the other bankers, their, their reputations are on the line. I mean, they don't want to. They don't want to sit there and go back to a board of directors and report, you know, a lot of real estate owned, uh, you know, uh, on their books. And uh, you know, I, I I hand it to them. But remember, Jason came to me and understood about 63rd Street before anybody. And he didn't do it as a banker. He did it as a guy who loved 63rd Street and loved a development and loved it. And I think that's what's led Jason and I uh, to doing business together on Truce because again. A lot of bankers, they hear Troost and, oh, it's it's run down and it's dangerous and it's it's got low rents and it, it, it's it's bad. Well, you know what? Who was going to go to 63rd and Holmes, you know, eight years ago and pay $100 plus for a meal at a fine restaurant here in town? You know, you got to make that change. And I couldn't be, I couldn't believe more in Troost. Uh, I, I think I believe more in truth than I did 63rd these days. And, and, you know, Jason's there with us right now on a project where a very fine young couple are going to buy a building and, uh, you know, have ownership of a building we're rehabbing and have a dance studio and they're young, a young couple of color. And it, it couldn't be more important to watch young people owning, investing and uh, being a part of, Truce and, and points east in our city. Mm -hmm. um, I truly believe the landing will be, and maybe I'll be involved in it, maybe not, but I truly believe the landing is going to be an anchor once again for small business in Kansas City. And I don't mean, I don't mean a giant sports shoe warehouse. I mean uh, uh, dozens and dozens of small businesses with, uh, with a home like the Plaza used to be for them many years ago. Mm hmm Let's talk about that, Jason. Chime in here because I, yeah. you know, we've talked about truce on the show before with some other architects and designers. And, you know, I keep hearing, you know, more and more buildings are being purchased and rehabbed. And I mean, what, what uh, Bush just said, he's more he's more he's he's more excited maybe than he was at 63rd about what truce is doing now and where it could do. What what does that look like? I mean, what. For people that haven't driven down Troost in a long time, I mean, what are, what are we seeing there, and what's what's the next five years hold for well, these projects? Yeah, I financed several things on Truce, near Truce, east of Truce, uh, both housing and commercial. And I will tell you, there is a bit of a feeding frenzy that has been um, heating up over the last probably ten years, and it's going to come to a crescendo probably within the next five years. I think. If you simply look at some of the larger now, you, the things that get a lot of press are some of the larger, um, uh, both in mass and, and dollar amount investments. Right. So looking at 31st and Truce, Armor and Truce, you look at those intersections and you see you know, Chase Bank again, look, com competitor. Right. But a bank planning a uh, beachhead on 31st and Truce. That was at one point in time unthinkable. Uh, in this city. You look at the um, confluence of, of the hotel and Beacon Hill. Uh, I actually was involved in the financing of that hotel, you know, and you look at the, the residences, 
right, wrong, or indifferent, the different uh, income mix that is there along the northern parts of Troost. I really think Butch is right that the opportunity on Troost is stronger now than it has ever been. But I think it's been folks like Butch who have understood, uh, frankly, through lived experiences, what can happen when you have reinvestment in an area that, frankly, uh, has you know, no fault of its own, has been left out. And they are coming in and trying to do development in a different way that's more respectful of the neighborhoods and diversity. I think that's really important. I think those are the types of folks that will win, like what Butch is saying. Um, and then also, frankly, you have just changing attitudes in our city around what truce means. And I think that cannot be understated or underplayed. The I think in the, in the common uh, psychology, public psychology of people, truce is not the harbinger of danger that it once was thought of. And I think that has to do with changing attitudes. And that's for the better. And I think it's for the better of our city. So that will break up, down this border wall that's existed and allow investments to go further east. And I think it's critical as a statement on how we decide equity in our city with respect to real estate and development. Not, and almost not just sticks and bricks, but community development. I think you need to allow more innovative folks like Butch, the younger generations that are people of color and women to also get involved and engage in this game. And frankly, one of the reasons why I love Butch is because he inspires so many of those folks. Without a Butch Rigby showing what can be done at a 63rd Street in Holmes, people would not take the chances that they have in other parts of truth. So the things are related. Right. Because I remember uh, I'm not a native Kansas Cityan, but I do remember early on in the mid aughts speaking with people. I live in Brookside now. I didn't at the time, but I live in Brookside now. And people talking about east of Maine and Brookside being dangerous <laughs> as if it was basically, um, you know, uh, some derelict, you know, kind of uh, Mad Max dystopian quarter. And I just remember thinking, like, how how could you even relate that or, or connect those two things? But Butch obviously had a vision for the area and relied on his tenacity and his wherewithal to curate space to create something really special. And those are the type of opportunities that I think exist along Truce and other commercial corridors as we travel throughout the city, especially east. Mm -hmm. Well said. Well, well I, I have to compliment, you know, it's not just Byron and I, it, it's, there's a lot of different developers, uh, Jason Swords uh, and his Sunflower Group, John Hoffman and Lance Carlton, uh, you know, in their group, the, these, these are people who have not shied away, you know, John and Lance uh, built an apartment complex at 64th and the Paseo, and everybody said, you're never going to get market rate housing there, and they said, yes, we will, and guess what, it's filling up. Um, you know, we're buying a couple of buildings at 65th and Truce, you know, we're looking at things, you know, around. And, you know, we all we all have to believe that, you know, you, you can't just live with what, well, uh, quite frankly, my generation and older uh, has a different perception of Truce than young people. Young people, they don't look at it as a, a black and white or a dividing line. They just look at it as kind of cool and hip. I mean, one of the very first things we understood about, you know, Brookside East was, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know if we should call it Brookside East because people are going to get, you know, have all these preconceptions and think it's dangerous and this. But 
what we found was everybody thought it was cool and hip. They want to go east. They want to be part of the community. Um, I was, you know, I was very determined to make sure that as we worked on this corridor, that we did have uh, a mix of tenants, uh, in, you know, demographically and racially and, you know, gender and everything. And we wanted to be open to that. And, you know, it's, uh, that was important to us because, you know, if you just develop a law and you exclude the people who are doing the small business and living around there and, and, and being part of the community, then you are doing, you know, the bad kind of gentrification. But, you know, uh, make no doubt about it. We must rehab buildings. We must make them safer. We must bring them up to good standards. We must get people who are spending money to come and shop and live and work and play there. And the only way you're going to do that is by substantial uh, financial investments and renovation of the buildings. And that's where, you know, incentives come along. I mean, I, I know it gets such a bad rap. Everybody goes over there just handing tax dollars to developers, but that's not what it's about. It's about the fact that it costs just as much money to renovate a building at 59th and Troost as it costs to renovate a building at uh, 119th and Knoll. And even though the one at 59th and Troost, the initial cost wasn't so much, that's usually not the, 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 you know, the large part of your investment. The large part of your investment is more times than not the cost of renovations, the cost of abating the, the environmental issues, all those kinds of things. So, um, you know, tax abatements are designed so that we can bring in uh, Maddie's Foods or, uh, you know, the uh, Blush Nail Lounge or the, uh, you know, the small businesses, the Fletcher Law Office, things like this, who can afford and, and want to stay, you know, in our Midtown Corridor. I mean, we have an opportunity here on Troost in particular uh, to be the home to dozens and dozens and dozens of small Kansas City iconic businesses. Look at Ruby Jeans, 31st and Troost. You know, he believes uh, he's a community leader. He's on Troost. Look at, um, you know, um, oh, uh, Maddie's Foods. It's uh, vegan soul food. Who'd ever thought? <laughs> but they're at 63rd and Holmes and one of ours. Um, you know, and the plaza many, many years ago was the home to a lot of small Kansas City businesses, a grocery store, a locksmith. Um, you know, as things progress, it became the home to a lot of national businesses. They're, they're starting to learn. They've got Maiden KC now. They've got a couple of young women with a shop in the old Plaza Theater. But if we're going to, um, if we're going to make Troost Avenue, which needs to be commercial, retail, successful, we had uh, better plan it so that we can uh, not only let developers like myself engage in the development, but bring in other developers. And what that means is you've got to be able to manage the property taxes as you go along. Make sure you grow the tax base. We grew the tax base along 63rd with our PIA district. We contribute a half a million more in property tax now, uh, near a million more in uh, sales taxes over the next few years for both the city and the county, the library, the schools. Um, it's all tax planning and management. However, a small young restaurant tour should be able to walk through, renovate their building, own their building, and take advantage of some of those tax tools just like anybody else. And so I think we have a lot of work uh, in the future to do on Truce to make sure that it gets developed in a way that it, it's inclusive. I want customers coming from 
east of Troost and I want customers coming from west of Troost. And I want people mentoring small businesses. That's where, you know, Byron and I, when we had this young woman coming into uh, a, the building that Jason and Byron and I are working on together, we're going to bring her in. We're going to lease it for a while and we're going to try to give her the opportunity maybe to buy her building. And, uh, you know, but she's got to be mentored as do many young people who are now entering the business world. Um, uh, you know, it's a different world. Women, people of color had been excluded from the entrepreneurial opportunities for many years. And so maybe they don't come from two, three generations of, uh, of, of family members who've been entrepreneurs. Maybe they're the first ones, you know. I had, my late mother was uh, forced to be an entrepreneur. She was a widow at 38 years old and had four young kids to raise. Uh, but she, she taught us, she taught us how to do it. Not mm -hmm. every single young person has had that. That's why I feel like mentorship is so important. That's why I, I almost always will take a coffee with somebody who wants to learn about business or just meet and talk and learn. Um, yeah. I think that's gonna be the key to the success. That's a great, great, great thing to note too. Um, I'm excited about all these projects and I'm hoping that Troost, you know, continues to expand and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see some of the work you all have been doing come to fruition here uh, very soon. Uh, real briefly, just, just touch on Midtown real quick. Um, and then we're going to go to some other questions before we close out. Butch um, and Jason, I know that, you know, obviously the streetcar is extended. Uh, we're seeing a lot more multifamily. We're seeing more commercial. We're seeing more, redevelopment we're seeing historic buildings potentially being redeveloped we're seeing people leave because they're not getting incentives we're seeing all kinds of different things um where do we stand with that area uh as far as kansas city is concerned well my opinion is it's the new crossroads i own two buildings over there uh, we have um, a building right behind costco the old Luzier cosmetics building um, home to Billy's Grocery, which is another Robin County. Oh, is that is that one of your buildings, Butch? That's one of our buildings. And I go there a lot. <laughs> and land and, uh, we have uh, Casey Wilco and TJ you know, Strategies. We just have a lot of great tenants there, and um, we, you know, that is that has been a, a stunningly successful uh, location for us. Billy's Grocery, of course, you have to hand it to Robin Kraus and her husband Danny. Uh, she is just an amazing businesswoman. She uh, her Billy's Grocery is something that I think you'll see all over the city uh, in short order. But we have the Urban Mining Building, you know, where uh, Brewer's Kitchen is and uh, the Urban Mining folks and School Smart KC and Populux and Victor's. And, you know, again, it was another big old building at 31st and Gillum, a block to the east and north. Um, I think the opportunities are incredible. Look what the Clemens uh, uh, family have done over at 31st and Troost and, you know, all of that activity. So I think that, uh, and I think the streetcar coming up Main Street is powerful. I think it's going to be a connector. I'm sure, uh, Jason, you have some very strong opinions. You've been uh, in that area. Yeah, I've, I've financed quite a bit in the Midtown corridor as well. And um, I will tell you, all of those things that Butch mentioned, I think Midtown is maybe one of the next crossroads. And I think the difference is, is that the residential has led before the commercial. And I think that bodes well for commercial development within the quarters. And I think that's the final kind of capstone. And again, we hope that these things are done in a way that preserves neighborhood character. And I'm glad to see more buildings being saved than torn down. Butch, I don't know if you remember when I 
when we first sat down and talked about Brookside, I was coming at it at that point in time from a very quantitative and now analytical position of the cost of the dirt versus the cost of the buildings. And if you aggregate it, the cost that you're selling the building at over the square footage of the dirt, it was uh, a prime uh, assemblage opportunity. And you're like, whoa, 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 we don't, you don't need to tear down those buildings. Those buildings are perfectly fine. And so I have adapted that mentality too, because I, I, I believe the greenest building that exists is the one that's already there. Right. So you couldn't be more right. And and you're right. Yeah. There's there's so much good stock. Uh, yeah. You're still driving around 31st and Truce. Now, I do like a lot. Some people don't. I do like the fact that they're creating a lot of density along armor, yeah. not only rehabbing existing buildings, but building new ones. Yeah. I used to live at 34th and Cherry. So I knew that neighborhood again. And, uh, you know, you get down to the corner of Truce and Armor and they're putting up. Um, you know, hundreds of residential units. My business partner's sons own a building at 3,400 Truce. Uh, you know, a lot of young people are building, but uh, I, I am a firm believer. And that's what's so powerful about Truce. It encompasses all the way down, uh, you know, downtown, all the way far to 85th Street in our community. I mean, it is a binder instead of a wall. It's a binding agent. You know, we have the, the prospect corridor, uh, it, you know, its days are coming. Uh, there's been a tiff there, but not many people have been using it. But that's because you have to grow out naturally. You have to build and build layer upon layer. And uh, that's where I get to the point where we need to be inclusive of everybody in that process because uh, um, Truce is really going to be a binding agent for us. I will tell you, 31st and Truce go north. You couldn't find a more beautiful, incredible street in our city. If you drive that, anybody out there wants to go drive it, you show me anything in this entire metro area that is as beautifully landscaped and preserved, and it's a great combination. So moving forward, guys, uh, on Kansas City, what, what, do you, what do you see as, as the next five to ten years? What, what does it look like? You know, we've been through all these different neighborhoods, obviously. Um, you know, and then how can we accelerate this? Because you know, I'm someone that goes and travels for work and, and other things often. And I go to cities like Oklahoma City last week for a conference. And I'll tell you what, man, I I was kind of blown away with some of the things they're doing down there as far as a city of 1.4 million people and, you know, new convention center, it, urban parks. I, I'm a big believer that we have to we have to have some more green space in our downtown. I mean, I, I think we could continue to utilize our riverfront. I mean, there's all these things that I see in other cities that, that are happening that I think that we could do as well, but also keep doing what we're doing already. What, what could really accelerate us? Because um, we're obviously in competition with cities that are also growing right now. Uh, but also, you know, not push people out, which we've talked about. We want to make sure that we keep our neighborhoods historic and, and developments historic. So what, what do you see as kind of some of the things that, that we could do uh, moving forward and have it happen a little quicker. Yeah. One of the things I think the city needs to pay particular attention to, and I'll speak from, I know Butch probably has a lot of thoughts on this, but I'll throw it out there is I think I'll call it land use management entitlement needs to become a much easier process. I think you need to um, break down probably some of the old sacred uh, cows and, and tear some of that stuff down and allow more innovation to lead uh, at the land management entitlement uh, centers of uh, government to allow things to get through easier and quicker and allow 
more diverse parties and even smaller players to engage in the process in an easier manner because more people engaging in the process will breed innovation, which will therefore increase supply of a number of things. Let's take, for instance, housing. One of the big problems in Kansas City right now is affordable housing. Uh, Midtown in particular has great density, uh, and but you know, in an area with great density and growing density, we are seeing decreased supply of affordability. I think one of the ways in which the city could combat that is frankly, disabling some of the metrics around zoning that uh, does not allow for accessory dwelling units, for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a lot of nimbyism in our city around that issue. But frankly, if we go to other cities, one of the things that makes them cool and provide some relief to folks with regard to housing is having dwelling units that don't necessarily look like a, you know, 20 foot wide, you know, frontage by 30 foot deep lot, you know, someone having a carriage house apartment while they're in high, uh, I'm sorry, not high school, but uh, college or grad school or getting a nursing certificate that allows them to live close to children's mercy and also, um, you know, live in a decent place, right? We, we, we are losing those types of opportunities. And I think we need to be able to provide more innovative solutions and kind of take off our kind of traditional Midwest hat. Uh, I agree from a land use standpoint. So that's one of my big things. You're, you're seeing bills in Congress, so I mean that are potentially going to address, uh, you know, not having enough housing being built because of, you know, city councils and others who are, you know, exclusionary zoning, and they don't. It's hard, right? Because you're trying to build something new, or you're trying to renovate something, and people in the neighborhood they don't want change, and a lot of times, and, and I, yeah. I get that. And but I get we people. To, we have to evolve. People, yeah, people don't like change, and I and I get that. Um, but, but everything think, we've changed in Kansas City, yeah. Jason, has been a very successful. Yeah. You know, we 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 have the arena, we have the downtown. What Butch is doing, what you're doing, the airport's opening. I mean, it's leading to all these opportunities that we wouldn't have had had we not accepted some change. And I think exclusionary zoning does another thing, and I and I and I. I I feel bad for some of the buildings that have been lost. It might sound weird to say that, but frankly, you know, we talk about mixed use. It's confluence of uses. It doesn't necessarily have to be uses on top of uses, right? When we're talking about density and these things, some of the great neighborhoods in Kansas City, like Midtown, are great because they have uses that exist coexist together, and allowing for that to happen in a manner that is not prohibitive, I think is really critical to preserving the character of the city so that you don't have to just tear down half a block in order to have some type of mixed use. There are there need to be commercial corners within residential nodes uh, and making sure we preserve those wherever possible, I think is really critical to making this a fun and, and attractive place for people to live. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I, I would expound upon that. I, you know, we talked about the change we've made. Uh, you know, I think the streetcar is imperative, important, incredible. I mean, I think we made a great choice, uh, not only in, you know, in, in installing it, but making it free and making it hop on, hop off has turned it because if it's we free all the time too, you know, I mean, a lot of cities have streetcars now, Butch, but they're not free all the time. They might be free on a Tuesday at eight o'clock, but they're not free on a on a game day or on a Saturday or a weekend, you know? You know, they don't charge us to drive our car down the road. They shouldn't charge us not to drive our car down the road. And <laughs> I think it was, uh, 
incredible foresight, uh, you know, when they did that. Now they've expanded to the city buses. And, you know, that's why we have one of the most successful streetcars in America. And I think it'll only continue as you go down Main Street. Um, I think I couldn't agree more with Jason on the on the notion of, um, you know, the, the zoning and, and trying to make it a little easier and a little more approachable for everybody. I also um, think that we do need more green space. I, I, I like the idea of covering the freeway on the South Loop with the green space. First, I thought, oh, we should, you know, invite some new corporation from out of town to be there. But I actually think that with what's going on with all of the new housing downtown and the crossroads, uh, that that's going to be important. It's got to be a place. I personally support a baseball stadium coming back downtown because you're going to have 82 days a year where small businesses are going to be included in the success of uh, having a baseball, a major league baseball team in Kansas City. Right now, it's those who've been able to get themselves in the island known as the sports complex. But now, uh, you're going to have all sorts of them. And I do believe our city will accept the change and will accept coming downtown. Um, I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that's going on in Midtown that, uh, you know, I'm involved in a group that has a, um, I'm involved with the group. Uh, we own the Westport Junior High. We redeveloped it. Uh, uh, fortunate to have Bob Berkebile and David Brain and Lou Steele and Chip Walsh as a partnership. And now, they're uh, expanding across the street to the senior high, and the entire area is uh, going to be incorporating the park around it and the green space that we have, including uh, the old football fields and things like this. I mean, we realize that having um, urban oases like this are the only way you're going to develop and continue to develop. So, um, you know, our city was founded on one of the greatest Park systems in America, you know, the Kessler uh, system, the boulevards, um, you know, we have the we have the skeleton and the blueprint all over our city. You know, the Paseo and, uh, you know, all the boulevards uh, east and west in this city should be the map for us to develop around. We should honor and respect those boulevards and parkways and parks and make them a, a living, breathing part of a larger development plan in the future, both east and west. Mm -hmm. Man, I got so many questions I could go through right now. I mean, Bush, we might have to have you on again um, because I could to. talk for hours about this stuff with you and Jason. Um, let's um, let's just let's just get a couple tidbits from you about kind of some of your best advice. I think that's important to someone who's been in business. Um, man, I didn't even get to talk to you about your Hollywood uh, experiences. I was going to try to pull a few of those out of you, yeah. some of your memories, but uh, we'll leave those for another day. What uh, what advice would you give those who want to start a business, get in real estate? You said you like to mentor and have coffees with folks. Uh, yeah. What What's your best advice? Well, my best advice is, you know, do projects that impassion you. I mean, you know, find a building or buildings or development that really excites you. Real estate is not a commodity. I mean, I remember being down in Florida on vacation with a buddy of mine, and I saw some guys playing tennis, and they were bragging about how all they did was play tennis because their strip centers paid for themselves. They didn't have to be involved. Now, years later, none of those guys own any strip centers, and they can't play tennis because they lost all their money. You need to be involved in your building. You need to understand the importance of your building. And, and, and you, you, I think most importantly, you know, remember your tenants are your customers. 
you know, your customers. They, if, if you don't, if your tenants don't feel like you are concerned about them, then you will not have a success in real estate. We, you know, we want our tenants to feel like they love coming to work and they want them to feel like their landlord respects them as a customer and their landlord wants them to have a great experience. I mean, I can't, you know, I can't say every single tenant I have is always happy 100% of the time, especially in weather like this, if the air conditioning shouldn't happen to work. But they know I'm there and they know I'm on site and they know I'm interacting with them. And so it's very important to me to be an, an engaged real estate investor. And so I tell everybody, hey, if you want to get in, I did it. And, you know, I was painting and roofing houses. I mean, you might have to start small. And the way I do it is different than other people, but I have never, ever forgotten to keep a personal relationship with my customers, just exactly like the bankers do with us. And we, we don't borrow from a bank. We borrow from a banker. Uh, you know, the, I, I was able to name quickly all the people like Jason who are involved with the banks that I work with because there's a face attached to it. So my tenants they know Butch Rigby and they know they can call me. I mean, I'm, I've seen six tenant calls go by my cell phone in the last hour while we were here. And they know I'll answer the phone. I mean, they know they can get a hold of me if they need to. So I'd say, you know, personally, I'd say if you're going to own a small business and you can't own your real estate, you might as well get paid twice for the fruits of your labor, you know. That's smart. Um, and then finally, you know, well, we'll get to what's next for you, but if you could change one thing or do one thing about Kansas City, I know you're very bullish on everything going on now. What would it be? I know we talked a little bit about this, about accelerating our growth, but is there something, if you had your magic wand, Butch, that you could do at this moment, what would it be? What would you add? I'd like to get us off the name of that very small list of cities with high crime rates and high murder rates. I, I'd like to see... And, and, and I don't think it's for a lack of effort. I, I do think that the uh, police are very uh, in, in, engaged and involved. I think the mayor is. I think everybody's uh, engaged in it. But I'd like to see us resolve that problem sooner than later. I think that we get our name in the, in the national press too many times for something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I will tell you that, um, you know, from my standpoint, I wish we had put the ballpark downtown 10 years ago. But you know what? <laughs> Uh, I always look forward, not backward. I don't care about water that's over the dam. I just want us to to move forward. So, yeah, you know, I think that uh, we'll get a handle on, on that kind of stuff. I think we are a – the World Cup is going to be one of the great opportunities for this city. I couldn't tell you how excited I got when we got that. And I don't even play soccer. I didn't watch much of it, you know. Yeah. My nephews love it. You know, everybody grew up with it. But – um, I think that we, um, everybody I talk to who visits here or has visited here who had never been here, tell me routinely, you guys don't know what you've got there. It's the most incredible city in the world. And I couldn't believe that anymore. I, I, I think that we do have a marvelous city. Like you were talking about Oklahoma City. There are, there are people running podcasts in Oklahoma City who've been here and said, you have got to go see Kansas City. Yeah. It's really impressive. Yeah. I talked to a state rep yesterday or two days ago in Oklahoma about his trip he was going to do with his friends, and they were deciding between Austin and Kansas City. They went to Austin, but he's coming to Kansas City next year. The point is is that people are having those conversations now between, yeah. like, should I go with my friends? He's in his 20s to Kansas City or Nashville or Kansas City or Austin or Kansas City or Denver. Like, 
our city's in the conversation, you know, and the World Cup, as you mentioned, obviously, is going to be a worldwide stage. So that's something we have to knock out of the park. And then with all these developments going on, you know, I'm just curious, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens as far as like the, the people that have been here for a long time with all the new developments you're talking about, the West Bottoms we didn't talk about, the East Bottoms, downtown, you know, the Kansas. I mean, there's so many different neighborhoods um, and how those all grow together and, 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 you know, escalate and what that means to infrastructure and, you know, more people moving here and our growth. Uh, it's going to be exciting to watch. I'm pretty pumped about it. Yeah, I am too. I, I've watched it for 25 years. I watched downtown go from a ghost town to a modern American city. And I think that, uh, you know, I love all the new housing down there. I love the fact there are 30,000 people living downtown. It, yeah. it makes us vibrant, strong. Yeah. So, and I think, I think we're just beginning. I mean, we've, you've done so much for the last 20 to 30 years. It's oh. kind of crazy to think about when I was a law intern at Stuart and Bacon and, uh, when I was like early, late nineties, early two thousands, we'd go to like Fred Piazza. I think it was the only thing to like do after work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I remember going down there. No, we're getting, we're turning 21. We have oh, like one bar God. in the whole downtown to go to. Yeah. yeah Friday night at, at 18th and Wyandotte. I mean, we did a little last Friday in July thing called Christmas in July. And we were the only thing going on downtown or the crossroads. So Sometimes you got to you got to put everything in perspective, right? With Kansas City and mm -hmm. just the resurgence and it sounds like we're going to have even more resurgence in areas that that you all are working on right now on the east side. I can tell you as someone who lives in Brookside, I go to the the I spend $100 at that restaurant um on Brookside yeah. East. I go to Brady's. I love Brady's now. Brady's yeah. Box. Oh, it's great. I I've been to Plate many times. <clears throat> I've been to those coffee shops. Um, such a good addition, and I'm excited to see. I'm looking forward to going to Truist when um, you know I've been to Ruby Jeans, I've been to those places when there's more and more places on that strip to to go to. Our best days are yet to come in the city. Can't wait. Well, Butch Rigby, thank you so much. Jason Carter Solomon, uh, uh Landmark National Bank, banklandmark.com. Great conversation today. Um, <clears throat> just so many great topics, and Butch obviously. You're such a good, uh, you know, spokesperson for all Kansas City and all the work you're doing in real estate. It's uh, it's exciting to see, and I'm glad that we learned more about some of the projects that are going on right now. Um, and I'm excited to follow them. And Jason, congrats on all your success as well, my friend, in working on these projects. Uh, thank, thank you, you both for having me here today. Yeah, you bet. We'll talk to you again soon. And I want to thank those who have watched the show today and listened to the show on podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. I want to thank Butch Rigby and Jason Carter-Solomon again for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for listening, watching, and we will see you again soon. Take care, and thanks to Landmark National Bank for collaborating with the show today. Our pleasure. Thank you.